Money FM 89.3, best of workday afternoon. Your Money FM 89.3, I'm Clarissa Monterre for the workday afternoon. Today on Health Suites, we look at something that, whilst necessary, is often uncomfortable the importance of establishing end-of-life care services. Over half of the world's palliative care needs reside in Asia, with annual estimates of 24 million people in need of services. Low-income markets in South and Southeast Asia do not have the capacity to take care of patients suffering from long-term illnesses. What is being done and what more can be done? That's up next on Money FM 89.3. Health Suites with Clarissa Montero on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Health Suites on Money FM 89.3. I'm Clarissa Montero for the workday afternoon. I'm joined on the phone by Dr. Cynthia Go, Chairman, Asia Pacific Hospice Palliative Care Network and lead for the Lien Collaborative for Palliative Care. Dr. Go, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, let's start with the importance of establishing end-of-life care services, especially in developing markets in Asia. Could you give us an overview of why this matters? Well, I think we shouldn't associate palliative care with just end-of-life care. Overall, worldwide, over 56 million people require palliative care, and of whom less than half, 25.7 million, are near the end of life. But then you've got over 31 million who are living with a life-threatening illness, but not actually dying. And they may be living for many months and sometimes many years with this life-threatening illness, and they still have palliative care needs. Palliative care is an approach to help people improve their quality of life when they're faced with a life-threatening illness. But it's a very broad approach. Obviously, these people have medical needs and nursing needs, so we look after their physical needs. But also, people have a lot of emotional needs, psychological needs, needs to understand and know what they're dealing with, so informational needs. So we deal with that as well. On top of that, there are also practical things that need to be helped with, like finances, food, schooling for the children, care for the elderly, that kind of thing. So it's it's a very broad approach. And I must say that my work is mainly in the Lien Collaborative in low-middle-income countries. They are sometimes countries with health systems that are not very well-developed. For example, we started work in Myanmar back in 2013. And There's no emphasis when you have a a weaker health system to look after people at the end of life. People are always thinking that, you know, oh, we're talking about survival, we're talking about expanding life, uh, which is absolutely right. I mean, we should be um, extending life. We should be giving good care to our children, who is the future of the country. But end-of-life care tends to be relegated to, you know, a much lower priority. Sure. I I would imagine in any country where resources are finite, then that would be the case as well. The quality of -of end-of-life care actually is probably more related to the development of the health system than anything else. So if you can't treat people with cancer or there's hardly any cancer treatment, how are you going to, and most people are then going to die with cancer because you make the diagnosis late, the cancer has already spread then what they do need is palliative care. And yet the health system is not well developed. For example, the government doesn't cover treatment. People have to pay out of pocket in order to get any kind of treatment at all. And so that sort of makes everything so much worse for the patient and the family. Okay. I I think it's an important distinction that you've made and and one that we should bear in mind. Palliative care is not merely end of life. It's not a few days. It's not a few weeks. It could actually 
stretch for a few years, if that is the case. That's correct, yes. Because it's not just about cancer care either. Although um, nowadays, most of palliative care needs is among what is called the non-communicable diseases, of which cancer is one of them. Mm-hmm. But it also includes HIV AIDS. People in developing countries are still dying of HIV, although that's become a long-term chronic disease in developed countries. We're talking about people with strokes and long-term disabilities who are eventually going to die of complications. Lung disease, which is everywhere. And of course, dementia, which is becoming much more important in the developed world. All right. Now we're talking about the Lien Collaborative for Palliative Care. Low-income markets in South and Southeast Asia do not have the capacity to take care of patients suffering from these long-term illnesses. What are the greatest challenges? Well, one of them is, of course, manpower, trained manpower, doctors, nurses. And in many of the countries where we start work, there are no social workers. Usually after we have worked for a while, the social work department starts developing. And we find, for example, when we walked into Myanmar, the doctors were doing all the financial assistance for the, for the patients because it was heartbreaking for them. They would pick up a cancer. They would know that this cancer can be treated, and, but there was no money to pay for the, the cancer treatment drugs. So the doctors are scrabbling around looking for financial help for their patients so that they can get the treatment. So one of the things that we sort of introduce is this teamwork, doctors, nurses, social workers, counselors, anybody who can support, for example, charities who who can help fund some of this treatment. So we start from scratch in many places. And Myanmar is a good place to, as a good example, where we can start. But basically, the Lian Collaborative has started work in three countries, in Bangladesh, in Myanmar and in Sri Lanka. And in fact, our projects there have uh, more or less been completed, although we're very much keeping in touch with these people. And then we've moved on to work to do a lot of work in India, where we are active in most of the northern and northeastern states, the poorest states in India. And we are also beginning small projects in countries like Laos and and Timor-Leste and Bhutan. Right. Now, you are one of the pioneers for end-of-life care in Singapore. What have you learnt from your experiences here in Singapore that can be perhaps implemented in the areas that you now are in? Well, I think one of the very encouraging things is I I, I tell people in these developing countries where they say, well, we have nothing, you know, Uh, how can we ever reach the development that what you've got in Singapore? And I can say to them, well, we started with nothing. Uh, When I started work in this area, our health system was not interested in end-of-life care. We had no services. Uh, The reason why um, the hospice movement even started in Singapore was because we came across people who were dying at home, looked after by their families, dying in severe pain because, you know, pain management was not well developed in those days. And they used to come to us and say, you know, keep on bringing my father, my mother, my sister back to the hospital, but they get discharged, things are just as bad, can you help? So as volunteers, we started this uh, movement to go into patients' homes and to do what we can with the skills that we had. And in those days, there was no formal training in palliative care. So, But fortunately, a lot of the volunteers were doctors and nurses. And we started with, with what we had, and we learned from our patients. So I share this story with people in developing countries saying, we started just as you did only you know, over 30 years ago. It takes time to build up these things. But don't be discouraged. You start with what you have um, and then it, you persevere. And, you know, we're here to help in whatever way, for example, giving training and so on. 
Okay, increasing quality of life and reducing end of life suffering through palliative care is the goal. What support is needed for it to become a reality in some of these countries? I work with a group of volunteers who are faculty. Uh, Most of them are highly skilled professionals in palliative care, doctors, nurses and social workers. And so we work with what we have. We can provide training to our colleagues in many of these countries. So we teach them skills. We teach them, you know, how to recognize uh, certain disease conditions. We teach them how to communicate with the patients. But mind you, you know, we are fairly sort of multilingual in Singapore. We do most of our talking in, in, in English and in dialect and in So, But we're working in countries which are usually not English-speaking countries. And so we have to learn how to communicate in those countries in the local language. And of course, our cultures are different. Our customs are different. So these, although we say palliative care is an approach, how we actually do it has to be adapted to the local circumstances. What can you say? How do you explain to a patient what cancer is? How do you break bad news that this is a disease which can't be cured, but we can still treat it and we can still do something about it. How do you communicate that, you know, despite eventually the patient is going to die, we can do lots of things to help them to become more comfortable, to take control over their lives and to prepare their families for you know, the time that when they won't be, we'll be there. So th- there are many things that has to be adapted culturally. Right. And, and I come back to that misconception, perhaps, that palliative care is maybe just uh, giving them pain management drugs mm. and and that's it. But there, there's so much more to it than that, isn't there? Yes. I think the pain management is usually just the start because if you're in severe pain, no good talking to them. There's no sort of uh, emotional counseling support for the patient if they're just sort of you know in agony. So we get on top of not just pain, but sometimes it's other symptoms like breathlessness is very uh, is a very troubling symptom, nausea and vomiting. So getting the symptoms under control is is something that we start with. But then after that, we have to talk to the patients about we assess their information needs, we assess their families. Very often, it's very practical things. Things like, you know, um, if I can't work anymore, who is going to feed the family? How are we going to help them? Can someone else go out to work? Can we set up little businesses that local charities could help set up or, or local companies can help set up to help these people? But we also have to work within the system. So one of the things about the Lean Collaborative is it isn't just training we give um, to healthcare workers. We also try to work with the government to see how uh, systems can be set up to set up palliative care services so that the people we train can do their work. Sometimes there are essential tools missing, like, for example, strong painkillers. In many of the countries that we work in, oral morphine is not available. And one of the things that we do is to see how we can uh, get those countries to either make their own or import morphine and allow doctors and nurses to prescribe it safely and get it to the patients who need the painkillers. So many stakeholders are involved and we try to involve as many of the stakeholders as possible. Right, okay, let's let's come back to Singapore before we end this conversation and talk about end of life in Singapore. You were one of the pioneers. You said when you started, we had nothing as well on that front. Nobody knew anything about it. We've come a long way since then. Now, in present day, in your opinion, is enough being done here or can we do more to ensure the best end of life care? Well, obviously, we can do more. <laughs> the quality of our services can be improved. But also, there are still many barriers to people accepting palliative care. Our 
our public education is not good. Now, people still think that palliative care is about the dying patient. They say, you know, it's, it's unlucky to think of such things. It will never happen. We don't want it to happen. Let's just get on and cure the patient. You see, not everything can be fixed in this world and not every disease can be cured still. So palliative care deals with, you know, what if, you know, we can't fix. We have to learn to live with it and make the best of it. But people are very resistant to talking about palliative care. They think that, oh, you know, once you get the palliative care people in, it's like giving up. But it's not. Uh, One of the messages that we have to put across is that palliative care works alongside with curative treatment. And we work with palliative treatment as well. So just because we can't cure it, it doesn't mean that we can't make it less or prolong survival. And in fact, one of the ironic things is that if we concentrate too much on just fixing a problem and curing things, we actually might make things worse because there are therapies which which are quite dangerous um, and uh, people may actually shorten life rather than lengthen life by going for, you know, doing absolute everything. So there's been growing evidence that in palliative care, we actually help patients prolong their life if that's what they want. And I think that we do it because, you know, we give them more information so that they can make clearer choices and steer them away from dangerous treatments that has very little benefit and may shorten life instead of prolonging life. Right. Okay. Now, just for the record, the Lien Collaborative for Palliative Care Project is co-developed by the Asia-Pacific Hospice Palliative Care Network and the Lien Foundation. This initiative seeks to match the supply of expert resources and knowledge to the demand from developing countries for such skills and know-how so as to build palliative care capabilities in a systemic, impactful and sustainable way. The project was started in 2013, is now in five countries, Myanmar, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Bhutan and India. Dr. Cynthia Go, it has been a pleasure talking to you. It's an incredibly uncomfortable subject for anyone to have to deal with, but a, a very realistic one that I think more people should actually pay more attention to. What are your parting thoughts on that? Thank you very much for having me on this program. I think that it's very important for us to let the person in the street know as much about palliative care as possible. And we need to uh, spread the word to say that, you know, there are many uh, misconceptions about what palliative care is. But despite it being uh, death and dying being an uncomfortable subject, um, it's something that we, we need to be dealing with and we have the tools to deal with it effectively. Thank you so much. We've been speaking with Dr. Cynthia Go, Chairman, Asia-Pacific Hospice Palliative Care Network and lead for the Lien Collaborative for Palliative Care. Dr. Go, thank you again for the time and the information. Thank you. I'm Clarissa Montero for the Workday Afternoon. This is Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.